Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. It's my great pleasure to introduce the Chancellor of the University of California, San Diego, Chancellor Marianne Fox. Uh, before coming to La Jolla, Chancellor Fox led North Carolina State University to new and unanticipated levels of achievement. She was a distinguished university press professor of chemistry at NC State, a Wagner Regents Chair in Chemistry and Vice President for Research at the University of Texas at Austin. Dr. Fosk received her bachelor's degree from Notre Dame College and her PhD from Dartmouth College, both in chemistry. She's been elected to membership in the National Academy of Sciences and the American Philosophical Society and to fellowships in both the American Academy of Arts and Sciences and the American Association for the Advancement of Science. She also has received honorary degrees from 12 institutions in the United States and abroad. We may assume that Canton, Ohio is proud of its native daughter. As an administrator, teacher, researcher, and one who is dedicated to community service and outreach and diversity, Chancellor Fox has led and led by example. In just four years at UCSD, during the most challenging times, she has grown the university in stature and in the sentiments of students, faculty, staff, and alumni. It's a great pleasure to introduce to you today Chancellor of the University of California, San Diego, Dr. Mary Ann Fox. We joined together this afternoon to celebrate the 100th birthday of Roger Revell, but many of you must realize this is also the centennial year of the birth of Abraham Lincoln and of Charles Darwin. I suspect Revell would have really liked the comparison. The, the, the idea that we're celebrating all three men together on campus because he was a personification of what, these, what drove Lincoln and Darwin. He is, is a great scientist, a great statesman, a great politician. Like Lincoln, Roger believed he could learn more from people with a different point of view than from people who shared his own. As a result, he listened carefully to his colleagues and his co-workers. He helped plan exquisitely important experiments together he interacted with the government, with the universities, with the private sector in an abundance of um, productivity. And like Darwin, Roger loved nature. You can easily imagine him peering off into the sea just before sunset, acknowledging the wonders and complexities of the ocean, echoing statements about natural order and extraordinary insight, stating, as Darwin had some hundred years earlier, while this planet has gone cycling together with the fixed laws of gravity and in recording something of wonder and beauty, most wonderful is the things that are, have been and are still being evolved. This represents to me a wonderful way in which Roger Revell, too, thought about the way in which his science evolved. During this three-day symposium, much will be said about Roger's accomplishments about his groundbreaking research in geology and oceanography and marine science, about how his observations form the basis for which we are building our current understanding of climate, especially the consequences of global warming and human intervention in this very serious question. But I'd like instead to spend a few moments with you in thinking about Roger Revelle as the founder of this great university, the University of California, San Diego. It was his hard work, his vision, his determination that led to the establishment of this university. As in seeking any worthwhile goal, 
Ravel had to fight for the university and its future. His experience in doing that messy work and then being denied the appointment as first chancellor is reminiscent of the experience Earl, War Earl Warren once uh, had, where he said, quote, everything I did in life that was worthwhile, I caught hell for. <laughs> it seems to me this is truly a lesson for anyone today who is foolish enough to aspire to be a university chancellor. <laughs> From the inception of UC San Diego, Ravel envisioned an institution that was distinctive, one in which excellence was really the driving principle. There was a strong focus on excellence in everything that was done because he built this at university from the ground up. He started by recruiting the world's top scholars. He chose artists and innovators, scientists and humanists. He chose world-renowned academic leaders to teach at what was then the youngest campus of the University of California. He purposefully set out to decimate other competitors. Yale and Penn particularly suffered, as we wanted our faculty to be competitive at the world's frontiers. And these scholars became scholars here. They became leaders. They came to La Jolla because of Roger. Roger attracted pe people who would create and advance art, technology, science at the highest level people who would innovate in instruction rather than rely on fixed streams of information, people who would write the textbooks that were based on their own work, people who would still instill in their students a passion for innovation. Like Lyndon Johnson, he believed that the answer to all of our problems is one word, and that word is education. Roger also had the tough job of arranging for the acquisition of land for the university, which he did splendidly, essentially taking over Camp Matthews. He then faced many tough battles. Many of them were based on principle, like convincing local residents that a world-class university could not and would not tolerate housing restrictions on Jews, which were in place at that time. He even negotiated restrictions that would prevent jet fighters from Miramar from flying over the campus and interrupting classes. I must say that when I mentioned this to another group, immediately a flight jet flew over the campus, <laughs> had the effect of disrupting my class. So I guess the lesson from this is even the best of us don't win all of them all the time. But that was the kind of man Roger Ravel was, a man with vision, a man of action, a leader, a winner. And for the ladies of the audience, I'm told he was a drop-dead handsome guy. Because of Roger's determination, dedication, tireless work, UC San Diego is now one of the nation's most accomplished research universities. And as we approach our 50th anniversary next year, we are proud indeed to take stock of our achievements in research and education and public service and our high rankings among the world's best universities. Ravel set such a high standard at the earliest stage serving in the national interest that when President Obama called recently for help for universities in addressing the challenges that we face in alternate energy, in climate, in health care reform, and in education, UC San Diego will be one of the universities most poised to respond to that challenge because we've thought broadly about problems and how they can be solved. So Roger Ravel's legacy remains strong today, 100 years after his birth, nearly 50 years after the founding of UC San Diego. 
We will always be grateful for his contributions, for the impact he's had. He continues to have that impact on science, on our students, on our faculty, on our community, and on our world. We will ever be grateful for this extraordinary man, man of action, for getting things done under circumstances while others would have run away. I can imagine Roger agreeing with Franklin Roosevelt in saying, to reach port, we must sail, not stay on the shore, not drift. That's the spirit that we honor and cherish today. I hope you join me in wishing Roger, wherever he is, a happy birthday. Thank you very much. It's now my pleasure to introduce to you the 19th president of the University of California, Mr. Mark Udoff. Mark is a good friend. Uh, we overlapped at the University of Texas for a number of years, but he's also an authority on constitutional law and educational law. He's a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, a member of the American Law Institute. He was a member of the advisory board of the National Institute for Literacy and currently serves on the President's Council on Service and Civic Participation. Mr. Udoff was born in Philadelphia and graduated with honors from the law school at the University of Pennsylvania, where he also earned his bachelor's degree in political science. I'll skip a litany of a career achievements that, and awards that have gone to Dr. Udoff, both in his leadership as president of the University of Minnesota and as provost at the University of Texas, um, but will tell you that he has been a wonderful leader during very difficult times since he arrived last summer. Uh, he, if anyone can solve the problem, it will be someone like Mark Udoff. I believe that Roger Ravel anticipated people of Udoff's character when he told with such confidence and high expectation in creation of the presidency of the University of California. So it's my pleasure and privilege to introduce you to you today, President of the University of California, good friend, Dr. Mr. Mark Udoff. Uh, I'm honored to be here today and uh, with this, this distinguished group of speakers. I also tend to do whatever Marianne Fox tells me to do. Uh, uh, we uh, had solved many of the problems of the uh, previous speaker while uh, drinking scotch in Austin, Texas, but we've forgotten the solutions. Uh, now, I have to tell you, I'm a lawyer, not a scientist, so you, uh, I probably have a different perspective. When the speaker spoke of uh, chemical bonds, I remarked, are they marketable today? What do we do with these chemical bonds? So uh, my apologies uh, on behalf of lawyers everywhere. And uh, my law students often comment that I'm not only dull myself, but I bring out dullness in other people. And uh, so I will try not to go on too long on our post-luncheon reverie here, uh, and I'll try not to keep uh, you all awake for too long. Um, I'm delighted to be here, and mostly because I share the deep regard of everyone in the audience for Roger Revelle and his tremendous contributions uh, for all the many great things for which we remember Roger Revelle. One of the greatest was his pivotal role in the founding of this very institution, the University of California, San Diego. His vision for what was a research university here could be what it could be and what it could do led directly to the success story that I think is UCSD. One of the remarkable things about UCSD is the dramatic extent to which its rise and development transformed San Diego itself. 
and I think the uh, Chancellor will attest, we, there are still delegations from cities all over the country and the world who come to San Diego, who visit the university and visit the community and say, how did this happen and how did it happen so rapidly? So it's a shining example in America of how an academic institution can have a transformative impact on the economy and, in, and the innovative culture of the community that it's around it. And it's a great example of the impact of the community on how the university itself uh, evolves. And that's the story of American research universities. UCSD was particularly fortunate to have a wise leader in the form of Roger Revelle and also Herb York and others in its founding many years ago. And was also fortunate to get its start in the last great period of public investment in California. The year is right around 1960. An important question today is whether and how we can sustain that transformative impact of public research universities in America and in this new and very difficult economy. And that's the topic I'd like to spend a few minutes on today. Wherever I go, I'm asked about the great challenges facing this country, and I point to one thing first and foremost, that the declining investment in human capital, both in California and across America, is one of the biggest threats to our prosperity and our competitiveness and all the other issues, whether it's energy or climate or whatever your issue is. Human capital is the core ingredient in the success of a society. I often say that the greatest technolo technology transfer to University of California is not the long list of patents, and it's certainly not the income, the royalty streams from the patents. It is the each in each graduating class. Those uh, students who are graduating are the technology transfer, because they will go out into the world and apply their talent and intellect to the social, cultural, technological, and economic challenges before us. I mean, I remember very well when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth and I was an undergraduate. You know, I'd never heard of a personal computer. A, a computer was 32K and took up a room twice the size of this one. That's what it was. And I remember watching this kid, and I knew he'd never amount to anything, Michael Dell, <laughs> and who was doing all this stuff, and I thought, I don't need to invest with him. What the heck does he know? And, uh, but, you know, the story of Michael Dell, in some ways of Gates and others, is that they were attracted to universities. Now, Michael didn't get his degree. I once told him, you're only here a year. Imagine how rich you'd be if you had been here all four years. Uh, but it was the magnet for intellectual activity and innovation that drew him uh, to Austin, Texas, and drew Gates to Seattle and many others that we can talk about here in San Diego and elsewhere. The truth is, over the last 20 years in California, the state's per student investment in the education of University of California students has fallen by 40%. You just have to take inflation and enrollment growth, and we have 40% less money to spend per student than we had roughly 20 years ago. In 1970, universities were 7% of the state budget, or at least the University of California was 7% of the state budget. Uh, today, it's roughly half of that. And we're not alone in California. States across the country are seeing similar trends as competing financial pressures crowd out investment in the education and empowerment of our people. 
It is no coincidence that a report out last week from the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation ranked the United States last, dead last, among 40 countries in an assessment of the progress, not the absolute place, but the progress on innovation and competitiveness each country has made over the last decade. Now, not long ago, I gave a speech at the New King Abdullah University in Saudi Arabia. It's outside of Jeddah. I guess every 50 years or so, they invite a Jewish guy to give a speech. So I went, and I gave my speech. <laughs> and they're building a research university from the ground up, $10 billion now, maybe more later. Um, they had 15,000 workers. I mean, it's sort of like building the pyramids. And um, the theme of that conference at which I spoke was that knowledge is the oil of the 21st century. Knowledge is the oil of the 21st century. Now, having said that, I have to say the oil minister took me aside and said, you know, Mark, I've thought about this. It's actually better to have knowledge and oil. <laughs> and I don't really dispute that, you know, but, but you see where I'm headed. And Saudi Arabia is not alone in investing in a knowledge-based economy. There's Singapore and South Korea and China and other places. And they all want great uni research universities, public research universities, like we have in America. And in particular, what that boils down to is the University of California, the most successful model of a public research university in the country. And frankly, that's what gets to me. People want me to go around the world telling them what they need to do to establish research universities just like the University of California. They want to emulate the University of California at the very moment in history that we are in danger of that idea withering in the state and the country of its creation. They're basing their dream upon a model of 40, 50 years ago and a dream which to some extent is in jeopardy. Here in California, I submit that we're still living off the investments made by, made in the era of Roger Revelle, the era of Governor Pat Brown, the era of the great University of California President Clark Kerr. And I think all of us know the tremendous return on investment that research universities provide to our society and economy, but it's worth reminding ourselves. I'm a data guy, you know, I, you know as someone once said, in God we trust, all others bring data. <laughs> so it impresses me that the faculty and alumni of UCSD have created at least, and it's hard to count, 193 startup companies employing more than 17,000 people and generating more than $10 billion in annual sales. The kinds of companies that come out of UC San Diego range from Qualcomm, the small company you may have heard of, to biotech companies, pharmaceutical companies, Surfboard makers, very uh, important to me, and uh, even a chocolate manufacturer. And if you look beyond San Diego to the entire UC system, there are at least 1,500 California R&D companies that put, uni that put University of California Research to work every day. They were founded by UC faculty or have sponsored uh, UC Research or have partnered with, or partnered with us in some way, and probably that's an undercount of the total impact of the University of California. We also know that, that a great research university has an impact on the lives of everyday people. 
At UCSD, we can see from just today's proceedings the incredible impact this institution is having to understanding of climate change, environmental health, national security, alternative energy, and lots of other things. And that doesn't even count the 400,000 people who come here to Scripps every year to visit the Birch Aquarium. Now, I have a recurring fantasy, not to worry, Marianne, I have a recurring fantasy that without unlimited money, now there's a fantasy, I could buy time during the Super Bowl to run a television ad that would go something like this. I would start in the morning when you wake up and thank God for your pacemaker invented at a public university. At breakfast, you really enjoy your strawberries and grapefruits, both of which have, are made tastier, more productive, and so forth, uh, by research done at public universities, including UC Davis for the strawberries. If you get into your car and you're feeling pretty safe because you have that retractable seat belt, which was also invented at a public research university. And of course, you go to your doctor's office where most of the doctors and nurses were trained at public universities in this state and in other states. And so it goes on through the day. There's virtually no point in your day, or if you like the way it fills in that your phone when you type in the person's first three letters of their name, and it puts the whole name out there or the whole number out there, that technology was invented at a public university. So I think there is a major uh, problem, and, but we can't just complain about the trend of disinvestment. We need to take it upon ourselves first to be accountable for the use of public money, and I've tried to do that. I've introduced an accountability system. We have our first one in the history of UC, at least first comprehensive one system-wide. And second, we need to do a much better job of telling the story of how we use that money to improve the lives of the public uh, and others who support us. We have to make the point that we are not just Walmart. It is not just what we pay our employees. It is not just uh, what our health benefits are. It is not just what we charge the students. That's very important, what we charge them. It is not just labor relations. We're a very different enterprise than a Walmart or other types of, uh, of uh, industrial or, or retailing activities but we're frequently not viewed in that, in that light, and that's what we need to change. Now, the tough part, what I'm saying, is, is not about some things we might otherwise like to, uh, saying is that the message is not about some things we might otherwise like to talk about. The public story of research universities needs to be told better. We need to create a, a better public understanding. When the University of California's budget is cut, as it was for the last two years, someone needs to be outraged other than the faculty or the students or the people directly involved in the enterprise. Whatever their favorite uh, governmental activity, whether it's filling in the potholes or the fire station or the local library, there has to be, in a sense, in the public at large, that this is a mistake. This is a major mistake in how we ought to allocate our funds. Now, we don't have money for the Super Bowl ads. I am working on it, but it doesn't seem to be paying out. It's playing out so far. Um, so, but we do have other tools, and we need to begin to use them. And hence, I've been trying to uh, figure out what Facebook and MySpace and all these things are about. Uh, someone recently proposed Twittering. I got upset. I thought it was, had something to do with sexual harassment. I didn't know Twittering. Um, <laughs> 
and I think we also, so we need to do a more effective job of telling our story. Uh, we also um, should note that there are some elected officials who seem to get it. And I think Governor Schwarzenegger is one of them. He gets the importance of investment in a knowledge-based economy, even if the state's fiscal circumstances are not very good today. I think President Obama gets it. may have heard in his speech a few weeks ago that one of the first things he said was, and I'm quoting, the answers to our problems don't lie beyond our reach. They exist in our laboratories and universities, in the imaginations of our entrepreneurs, and the pride of the hardest-working people on earth. That's what he said, and I think he was absolutely right in that observation. The federal stimulus package also is a cause for hope. It's increased uh, federal funding for research, and there'll be more student financial aid. There'll be some money for, uh, uh, to repair facilities. Frankly, I wish it had gone further. Um, I mean, I realize it's a complicated process. I'm not criticizing, but I would have liked to have seen more infrastructure spending, more on levees, more on K-12 schools, uh, more on university buildings uh, and highways and, 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 all, and all the rest. Um, but in any event, I think it is very helpful to us overall, the stimulus package. But the thing you recognize, and I'm sure you do, is it doesn't solve some of Marianne Fox's core problems here on campus. We want the researchers to have the resources. We want the discovery, but we still want the English department, the Spanish department, the social sciences. We have a core mission of education, and that's exactly where the resources are not being uh, placed. In a way, I think it's fair to say that the funding model for higher education is broken. I could explain that at greater length, but everything that we value and has brought us enorm high, very high levels of quality, smaller classes, lower student-faculty ratio, teaching loads for faculty that leave time for the research that is so important, all those things make the funding model more and more tenuous. There really is very little that has been introduced by way of large-scale efficiencies in the funding model. So we need to work very hard to develop solutions to these pressing problems. We have an outmoded funding model, but we have a model for great public research universities that still remains the envy of the world and that has largely uh, driven uh, the economy and I would argue to a large extent the culture, the democracy, and lots of other things here in America. And I think about that every day, and I think about the work of Roger Revelle. I think about the fact that uh, his extraordinary work had a lasting impact on the American research enterprise, far greater than its impact simply on San Diego and in California, but really has become a model for the world. And it is true that standing on the beach at La Jolla a half century ago, I don't know, but I suspect that Roger Revelle could not have envisioned the tremendous transformation that would unfold from the humble beginnings of the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. I think it's fair to say that this was a man who reach, whose reach exceeded even his own imagination, as fertile as that imagination was. And I think we need to continue to make the case for this institution and to build upon um, the, the contributions that... Uh, Mr. Ravel made, and I think in the long run, uh, we can, I hope, save these great institutions, and maybe our results will be far beyond our own imaginings. Thank you.
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.